several decades ago now, or maybe many decades ago. <laughs> uh, I, uh, we lived, uh, my, uh, it was about before we got married, uh, uh, and uh, my, we lived, my mother and my siblings, uh, we lived down in southwest Atlanta. And I had to frequently go through West End. You know what West End is in Atlanta? Well, on the other, there's the West End, there was a shopping area, that's where all the, the shops were, but along the other side of the tracks. Greenbrier? No, not Greenbrier, no, this is, a, this is, yeah, this is West End. This is out Lee Street. Yeah. Okay, out Peter Street, then Lee Street, all right, in that area. Well, along the other side of the railroad tracks, there was a huge building, and the aroma there, around that building, it was just wonderful, you know. Well, it's, I believe it was the Colonial Bakery. <laughs> it's commercial bakery. And you know how bread smells when it's baking? Oh my word. And I don't know if it was, if, if they purposely had some magic, uh, stuff that they pumped into the air there just to make it by the way. But, oh, it, it just, it, it smelled so, so, so delicious. Uh, and uh, I think back then, of course, I can remember back when, when Gene used to make these yeast rolls, you know, you get a starter, and you'd bake these yeast rolls, the potato yeast rolls, is that what I remember? Oh my word! Oh, just and, and you know restaurants know this. Now. I mean, uh, let let let's face it. Uh, you, you know, you go to Jim and Nick's and you get these these wonderful little corn muffins. You know, wow! Cheese, cheese, huh? Cheese, cheese. Well, the cheese, yeah. And then, and then there's, of course, there's the yeast rolls from O'Charlie's restaurant. They make sure you get those. You, you nibble at one of those, you take the rest of them home, you know, to have. <laughs> so Red Lobster's got these wonderful hot cheese biscuits. You know, I, I mean, uh, and then there's the table loaves you get at the restaurants like uh, oh, Longhorns. Huh? Carabas. Uh, then and then and at the mall there's the kiosk or the stand for Cinnabons. Are you trying to make a sign very good friend? Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, well that's, that's what I want to ask With all these recollections recollections, <laughs> have I made you hungry? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, you know, even at the, at the supermarket, you know, the wide selection of the various kinds of breads that, that they have. All right. But you know, not all bread is, is tasty. Uh, that was also the birthplace of Krispy Kreme donuts, wasn't it? Krispy Kreme donuts? Krispy Kreme donuts, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not sure, but it might have been. I, I, I just remember the Krispy Kreme place on Ponce de Leon. Yeah, that's the only one I remember. Near the Cracker's Yeah, it was, yeah. It was between the, 
turned off a peach tree that wasn't far. Well, you know, the subject of bread really uh, fills our lesson this morning. Uh, in in uh, my preparation for the, the lesson today, you brought bread. <laughs> I thought about bringing bread. I did, but then again, I had uh, uh, I had some, I had second thoughts. Uh, <laughs> What, what, well, and now, oh, there it is. Here it is. You like poetry? So, well, whether you like it or not, you probably enjoy yeah, this. Yeah. Uh, Mary Orr, who, who uh, is a, a Canadian, right? And she she wrote this uh, uh, this about the kids, and and this little poem. She says, "Jimmy and Joy." Jimmy and Joey, normal boys, like fishing in the brook. Of course, they dug in garden soil for worms to bait their hook. I dryly glance into their can, then quickly look away to give each one a hasty hug and send them on their way. One day, young Jim came grumbling home. To get more bait, he sighed. You didn't have enough, I asked. Joe ate it, he replied. <laughs> my stomach churned, my color turned, gray, purple, green, and red, till Jimmy, still disgusted, spoke. This morning we took bread. Oh. <laughs> what a surprise, yeah. Now what's that got to do with the lesson today? <laughs> Absolutely, so absolutely nothing. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, share that, share that with you. Okay. Uh, but you ever heard of them? Uh, ever heard of a a metonym? A metonym? Metonym. M e t o n y m n. Or no, M E T O N Y M. No, metonym. Well, it's a word or a name or expression used as a substitute for something else with which it is closely associated. For example, Washington is a metonym for the federal government. The Pentagon. Well, that's a metonym. Talk about the Pentagon. We talk about military leadership, or the Crown. Well, that represents, we talk about crown, you're talking about the king or the queen and the government. The Oval Office? The president, sure. The president, right? Well, Jesus used metonyms, metonyms sometimes. For instance, with the woman at the well, he spoke of himself and the new life he gives as, as living water. And so we'll find a similar, similar thing today in our lesson, all right? But this time it's not about the water, it's about bread. The bread of life. About bread, yeah. But in each case, he always would uh, transition from the physical to the spiritual. And that's it, we'll see that today. Well, we're in John chapter six. 
And, and, and chapter 6 begins with the feeding of over 5,000 people. Uh, and that was uh, the, one of the signs that John recorded uh, to validate Jesus' authority and deity. I think in, in the book there were a total of uh, seven signs, all right? This was one of them. And, uh, and that reflects, what did he say about his purpose? What did he say about his purpose uh, in writing all of this? He said uh, in chapter 20, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You may have life in his name. So, feeding of the 5,000, you've got the maps in your books, in the back of your books. Is this this is this is big Baptist the same all right and so the feeding of the uh, that multitude is is thought to be right about in this area on the Sea of Galilee I know some uh, uh, some uh, commentators will say it was on the eastern side of, of the Sea of Galilee well that's over here on this in this region and but I think it's, it was here. I think it was in this region here. The topog topography is uh, better for for such an event. It, it was there. Why they'd be over here? Uh, I'm not sure. But it was that's where it was. They were for the feeding of the five thousand. And you're familiar, I think, with with all of that that event. Uh, but and so. In verse 14, it says, When the people saw the sign, that is, what Jesus had done with the loaves and the fish, when they saw the sign he had done, they said, This truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. All right. All right. And so the disciples didn't know where he had gone first. And so they left. Uh, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. They were going, they were going to uh, back up to sort of their base of operations to Capernaum. So they were in, going to this region around Capernaum here, from here, crossing, crossing the Sea of Galilee, which is just a huge lake, if you will. And a storm came up while they were doing that. Uh, and, and that's when Jesus came to them. How did he swim to them? He didn't. He walked. He walked, walked on the water. All right. And that was just another sign recorded by John. Right. So the crowd that, that uh, had been fed the previous day and Jesus, 
uh, that realized that Jesus and his disciples had left, what did they do? They went after him. They went after him. So, uh, they went after him. And they went to Capernaum to, in boats to, uh, in pursuit of Jesus. And uh, now at this point in the narrative, uh, I interpret the term crowd, if you will, as being just a portion of those who had been fed in that event previously. That perhaps it was those who had been most vocal about making him king. Uh, John says, but John says they got into boats to go after Jesus. Now I can't imagine a huge flotilla of over 5,000 people in boats going after Jesus. I think it was those that had been most vocal. So much, much smaller much smaller group. At any rate, this brings us to verse 25 of chapter 6, all right, which really introduces our lesson text for today. Verse 25, it's not in your books. Oh, find it in your Bibles. When they found him, that is when the group found him, that's Jesus, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? What do you make of that? What do you make of that? That's a crazy question, isn't it? <laughs> what? When did you get, not where, uh, uh, how, or not how, how did you get here? All right. But uh, when? When did you get here? All right. Well, uh, Jesus, uh, I guess, that, that any, any question was all right to break the ice, I guess. Uh, you know, uh, uh, they could have said, well, why did you leave us so, so abruptly? You know, why did you go away? Why did you, something like that. But any question would have done, I guess, uh, because what they ultimately wanted uh, was more of what Jesus had done for them the day before. All right? Uh, that was a big thing that he did uh, with the loaves and the fish. Well, they, Jesus knew why they had come. He, he knew what they, what they wanted. And he knew who they were. Uh, and uh, well, as our book said, they had put my marker go. That's not it. There it is. Excuse me. What they did, what they had was what I call the wrong, the wrong motivation. The wrong motivation. 
Does your motive for doing something really matter as long as it gets done? My former pastor used to always say, I don't know why you're here today. I don't know why you come. I'm just glad you're here. All right? People come to church, for instance, for myriads of reasons, don't they? To, to escape the heckling of spouse, perhaps. <laughs> to make business contacts or political contacts. You know, well, they had the wrong motivation. Right? And that's where we begin with verse 26. Jesus answered them. He just ignored their question. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I tell you, truly meaning in some, in, in the literally, in, in the original language, it's truly, truly. We recognize it uh, from King James, the King James Version as what? Verily, 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 verily. Truly, truly, and and actually the the base of the word is amen or amen, and so amen, amen. In other words, look, this is important, guys. This is going to be on the test. When I was a student at Georgia Tech, one of my profs in one of the courses, I was. I think it was, had something to do with fluid flow or something like that from the aerodynamics college. He would come to class and he would get out his, he'd open up his loose leaf binder, pull out some sheets, put them in his hand, take chalk in hand, go to that black board, no white boards back in the 50s, you know, pull that board, and he would have this sheet in his hand, and he would start writing. He would start writing. And he would talk as he wrote. He talked as he wrote, and, and he would write some equations down, some uh, mumbo-jumbo stuff, and he would talk about it, you know, and he'd keep going. Never turn, and occasionally, occasionally, he'd write a bunch of stuff down, and, and all of us in the class, would write furiously, you know, keeping up with him, trying to keep up with him, but you couldn't. Uh, writing down what he was writing, what he was just transferring his notes, you know. But and once in a while, he, as he was talking, he turned around, and while we were fur, fur, furiously writing, and he would say something. He would have a, speak a few sentences, and then he would go back and keep on going, and later he would do the same thing. When we had our first exam, first, what we call it, first quiz, the stuff that was on the quiz was nothing was in the notes. Nothing in our text at all. And it took us a while to figure out. You know, when he would stop and he would turn around and he would say something, that was important. That's what you needed to know. That was going to be on the exam. Right. That was verily, verily, I'm saying to you. All right. And it took us a while. 
half the course really to learn that to catch on to that so here Jesus says look this is important this is a, you need to know this alright you need to know this truly I tell you you are looking for me not because you saw the signs but because you ate the loaves and were filled alright He already knew their, why they were doing this. Their reactions to his provisions of, of uh, food for their physical uh, nutrition the day before, he was aware of that. that they wanted that to continue. Uh, but you know, Jesus knew that they had a, a much greater, greater need. So, all right. And so, then Jesus proceeds to tell them that he knows their short-sighted motiv short motivation for seeking him out. Because their motivation was what? Simply, free food. Free food. All right? You get right down to it. They had failed to, to grasp the true nature of the sign in in what Jesus has really done, done for them, right? Because the sign, a sign, as John called here, always points pointed to Jesus, right? Who, who as God's anointed Son, the Messiah, uh, is the way to eternal life. And look, at, look at verse twenty-seven. Don't work for the food that perishes but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of God will give you. Will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. So, in essence, Jesus was, was telling them, you know, guys, you need to get your priorities straight. Get your priorities straight. You have to have physical nourishment, of course. Jesus recognized that necessity when he had multiplied the five loaves and two fish for them. But food for your spiritual destiny must come first. That's got to be your priority. There's more to life than this moving from one, one meal to the next, if you will. Justin Terrell, who's senior pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dandridge, Tennessee, puts it this way. Many people believe that true joy and satisfaction can be ours if certain conditions are met. For example, if we could just make more money, have a better job, be more attractive, get further educated, make more friends, have greater success, win more games, have additional time. Well, you can ask Jesus for all of these things, uh, but then would you be filled with happiness? Would you be filled with contentment? Would, that, would our lives be complete? If we had all of those things? Well, and maybe you feel like this 
today. Uh, I don't know. But what's missing in people's lives today is, is not uh, a lack of goods, really, or lack of resources, or lack of opportunities. What's missing is a lack of trust. Lack of trust in the works of God. Verse 28, what can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. I think the New American Standard Version, uh, in, in, in my opinion, has, has a better translation of this verse. It says, therefore, they said to him, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? What can we do? To work the works of, of, of God. I think they were still hung up uh, on the miracle of the feeding. What Jesus had told them up to this point seemed to go right, you know, right over their heads. They didn't grasp it at all. They, they could see it, the miracle that Jesus had done as, as being a work of God. So they were asking Jesus, uh, what God needed them to do in order for them to have such powers themselves. What can we do that? John didn't tell us, tell us but in my mind's eye, uh, I can see Jesus slowly uh, shaking his head maybe, rolling his eyes. Uh, I mean, if I were in Jesus' place, I, I think I would have be expressed some frustration, perhaps, uh, at, uh, at their, how do I say, lack of understanding at this time. So Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. This is the work God desires of you, that you believe in, that, that you trust, that you receive the one he has sent. That's, that's your number one priority in your life. Okay? Faith in, in, in Jesus leading then to eternal life. Initiated by God the Father and accomplished by God the Son. Well, next, they, and what they said was they wanted Jesus to give them another sign to back up the things that he had just said to them. So, it was obvious in doing so, that, and from what they will then say, they remembered man. They remembered man from old. All right. They, but they miss 
understood manna. Remember what manna was? Fruit from heaven. Yeah. When the uh, Hebrew people were in the wilderness. All right. When they were in the wilderness, God provided for them every day. Man came down from heaven. All right. But it only lasted a day because it, uh, it was spoiled. You could not get it and hoard it up for another day. Make, provisions were made for the Sabbath, of course. But otherwise, it came. You gathered it every, every day. Well, here's what. Uh, verse 30 says, What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? They ask. What are you going to perform? Now that's a good way to put it. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. All right? Verses 30 and 31 there. Perform something for us. All right? Do something that will lead us to believe. You know, it's like, show me. It's a show me faith, you know. I'll then believe. Show me something miraculous. Uh, then I'll, I'll believe. One commentator uh, wrote, it's, it's sort of like it's saying, show me and I'll, I'll believe, uh, which never works. Uh, God makes it very clear to us that in life and the, in the life and in the teaching of, of Jesus, uh, the, the process is reversed. In other words, he's saying, believe in me. Believe in me. I'll show you then. I'll show you. You need to believe first. First. Well, so they wanted another sign. <laughs> Would that make any difference? I mean, he had already done this other sign. He's done signs of healing. He's done signs of uh, feeding. So what was in the back of their mind? Do it again. Do it again. Give us more bread. All right. They sounded rather lazy. Yeah. They wanted to be fed every day. Yeah, sure. I, I think so. I think so. And so, why do you suppose uh, they refer to their ancestors in man? Why do you think they then refer to the man? Any ideas? They were well aware of it. This was thousands of years before, right? But they knew about it. Perhaps in their minds, and, and we're not told. Perhaps in their mind that uh, their mind, uh, they, they are, are you as powerful as our hero Moses? Right. Yeah, again, there's a difference of physical food versus spiritual food. That's a big difference. Yeah, that's all they could think of. They could not think of the spiritual nourishment that they needed. They had seen Jesus provide food for them in 
one, for one day. In their minds, Moses had provided food for them every day for 40 years. Uh, they quoted Psalm 78, 24, which says, He rained manna for them to eat, and he gave them grain from heaven. And so they were implied, they were implying that Moses, all right, they were implying that Moses was responsible for them having the manna. They just misunderstood. They just misunderstood. Going on to verse 32. Jesus said to them, Truly, there it is again. Truly. This is important, guys. Truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so he's making a transition here, making a transition for them. And so what's he saying here about the bread that God has to give them? All right. Well, what look at it. All right. He says, I tell you, all right. Well, it comes from where? It comes from God the Father. It comes from my Father. It comes from my Father. All right, it's from God. Uh, just like, just like the physical manna of old, God provides. God provides. And it's the true bread. The manna was temporary. It came every day for 40 years, but then it stopped. The, this true bread that Jesus is speaking of is given once, but lasts how long? Always. Always. Lasts for eternity. All right? All right? It's like the manna in that it is from heaven. And it gives life. Uh, manna physically sustained life, just as regular bread we call the staff of life but it's but this true bread that Jesus is talking about you know it's not an it it's not an it but rather someone this one he said Moses was the conduit if you will of the man he was the conduit for the temporary Jesus is the provider of the eternal, the permanent. And he says, what? Gives life to the world. He's given it for the world. All right? It's for the world. It's for everyone. It's for everyone. He is for everyone, this gift. All right. God so loved the world, what? That he gave his only son? Whosoever. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have 
everlasting life. Uh, the people can still not comprehend these truths. Because verse 34 says, Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. So just like the woman at the well was, you know, uh, she said, Sir, give me this water so that I won't have to get thirsty and come here to draw water. Remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the woman at the well. Uh, she at first connected. She says, you, don't, you can't give anything water. You don't even have a bucket. But when Jesus says, I can give you this water, It'll last forever. Oh, I, you did that, I won't have to come here and draw water every day. And so, like like that woman, uh, this group understood Jesus to say he was the provider of this magic bread. Uh, and even at this point, they weren't convinced that he could provide something like this that would last always, forever. Okay. They were still hung up. They were still hung up on the material, physical bread. So uh, Jesus takes a more direct approach, a more direct approach. To explain. Everlasting man. It's they're not getting what he's saying. So he gets emphatic. He gets emphatic. I am, verse 35, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. I am this bread of life. The first of seven I am's, John records. What's he say? This is the first. I am the bread of life. There are others. There are others. I am the light of the world. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. These things are yet to come in his gospel. And this is the first one. I am this bread of life. Jesus saw it. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. He, he this plainly uh, declares himself to be this bread of life sent from the Father. And so he, he found this, as a theological phrase found throughout the, his ministry, is that I am, I am. What do we know about I am? I am who I am. 
This is God's identity, all right? God's identity. Went all the way back to the time of Moses. Who shall I say? Set me, Moses said. My brother Pharaoh said, I am. I am. I am now. I was. I will be forever. All right. I am. That was God's revelation to Moses right back in Exodus, all right? I'm the ever-existing ever one, you might say. All right. And so, in a way, he's claiming equality with God. But uh, usually Jesus used I am with the various characteristics of his nature and his ministry. And so, as the bread of life, he promised that all them to be satisfied. He, he promised eternal satisfaction. Later in, in, in this chapter, Jesus referred to himself again as the bread of life. Back later, it won't be in our lesson, it's verse 48. Then again in verse 51, he claimed to be this living bread. All right, the phrase is, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. These are parallel parallel phrases to, for emphasis. All right? They express complete, everlasting spiritual satisfaction. So, come to Jesus. In Christ we continually have everything we need. But, as for those in this encounter in Capernaum, for those Jesus says, verse 36, 37, But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. I mean, the crowd beforehand, uh, this crowd, this group uh, that followed him to Capernaum, had witnessed the amazing multiplication of the loaves and the fish, uh, yet they did not believe. They'd already seen all that. They still didn't believe. What they had seen with their eyes, you know, never made it to the heart, you might say. And Jesus was not surprised by this. Mike Howard, in his comments, on, on this remark that essentially Jesus told them that as the living bread you're just not hungry for me you're just not hungry for me back in uh, remember back in the first chapter when we first started the study uh, we read in, uh, in what was called the Introduction to the book, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of, of God. All right? So there's this word, everyone. So we notice this word in in the verse 37 everyone whoever whoever believes and comes to Christ receives 
salvation and receive it as a gift from God. Just as believers are, are gifts from the Father to the, to the Son. And those who come to Jesus will never be turned away, will never be rejected. Your life as a child of God is, is secure, all right? It's secure in, in his hand. And Jesus continues this fact in, in the following verses. You know, can you can recall in Jesus' priestly prayers in, in this, uh, John 17, it's before his crucifixion. Just prior to that, Jesus prayed. He says, take this cup from me, but what? Not, not my will, but your will be done. Your will be done. Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those who he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last, last day. Everyone. Have everyone. In the psalmist David, the psalmist David, Psalm 63, verse 1. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. And so, as we get, let me ask you, are you hungry for Jesus? Are you thirsty for Jesus? Come to Jesus. Weak and wounded sinner, lost and left to die, oh, raise your head, for love is passing by. Come to Jesus, come to Jesus. Remember that song? Come to Jesus and live, live all right? Now your burden's lifted and carried far away, and precious blood has washed away the stains. So sing to Jesus sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus and live and like a newborn baby don't be afraid to crawl and remember when you walk sometimes we fall so fall on Jesus fall on Jesus fall on Jesus and live let's pray Our Father, you provide satisfaction for us in the Son. Thank you so much. We've not earned it. It's just a gift. The salvation we enjoy will last for eternity. We revel in that. We desire to be captive to your will, not our own. 
that Jesus taught us to pray. It says in the, the model prayer, told us to pray like this. Give us daily bread. Make do a, give us our provisions, O Lord. But help us make thy will our will as well. We ask it in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord, as we depart. Amen. Amen. Amen.